0: hello and welcome to the intentional clinician podcast i'm your host paul kraus licensed professional counselor in today's episode i'll be speaking with andrew henry about his new book hypnosis with a soul andrew henry was on the podcast before talking about his last book the gift an unconscious intuitive mind both books are available right now on apple books on the online platform Andrew Henry is a licensed professional counselor in private practice in Mesa, Arizona. Andrew is an EMDR certified clinician and has 16 years of experience in the field of counseling. In addition to being an author, Andrew taught master's level counseling as an adjunct professor at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona. He continues to work in private practice utilizing Jungian methods, hypnosis, EMDR, elements of dialectical behavioral therapy, energy psychology, mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy. Andrew has been doing some lecturing online to campuses and other interested groups about hypnosis and Jungian methods via video conferencing. Andrew has his master's in clinical psychology and counseling from Ottawa University in Phoenix, Arizona and an undergraduate degree from Arizona State in sociology. You can find out more about Andrew by going to his website, counselingbyandrew.com. If you're a longtime listener or this is your first time, I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. If this show is useful to you, please share it with people you know. All right, now for the interview. Okay, Andrew Henry, welcome back to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. So glad to have you on once again. Great to be here, Paul,
1: and uh, appreciate you making the space, and so we can talk about, you know, things, uh, hypnosis, and all these things. And um, honored to be here.
0: Wonderful, and I am excited to report to our listeners who have been really downloading that first episode that you have another book out this time called Hypnosis with a Soul. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for asking. So hypnosis with the soul uh, all began for me um, when I took an advanced class, an intensive advanced class at the Erickson Institute in Phoenix, Arizona. And there I was tasked with creating a custom trance induction. And I remember going home that evening thinking, "Okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to create this? And I started reflecting on my experience doing meditation, Zen Buddhist meditation. And there, years back, I discovered a way to go deep within myself, just following my breath. And I felt like I connected to the depths of my being, where there were keys and answers to things. And I thought, well, what if I could do that with hypnosis? What if I could actually bring a person in a trance induction to the depths of their being, and they wouldn't have to spend days and days and days of following their breath, like I did with the, with the Buddhist meditation, um, but do it within a trance, within a session. And lo and behold, it actually worked, and I was grateful for that. Now, The first case was, there was a gal, and I'm gonna call her Sally, as I called her in the book to you know protect the, uh, the innocent, so to speak. And um, she said she had an issue with a person who uh, she was practicing yoga with. (laughs) This individual literally would do her a person. They would have their leg up in the air while doing downward dog. And it like annoyed the heck out of her. It really got under her skin. And uh, so the, the instructor said, okay, pick something that's a mildly troubling to work with with your partners and break down into cell groups. And when, when she said this to me, I said, now, are you sure this is a mild disturbance? And she said, yeah, 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 it's, it's a mild disturbance. And I said, this is a trans induction that I created last night as we were tasked to do. Are you okay with me using this induction? And I told her a little bit about it. And she said, sure. So I brought her into the trance and um, she slowly went into the trance. And when I brought her into the depths of her being, she reported actually seeing the the issue with this other individual in the yoga class. And when she sat there and acknowledged his presence and, and sat with that for a bit, she began to cry. She began to weep. And I asked her, I said, well, you know, well, actually, I I just paid attention to what was happening and I didn't want to interrupt her, but I was curious as to how she was doing. When her tears were dried up, I brought her out of the trance. And that's when I asked her, "Um, you know, what was that, that like for you? And I'll never forget her words. She said, he was me. Or he is me, actually, the words he is me and i I asked her well what do you mean by that and she said he does things that i have let go of within my life he's carefree he does his own thing he goes to the beat of his own drum and i was holding him accountable for the things that um, i had given up so i was able to forgive him and reclaim them for myself i said fantastic that's great and uh, so that was the, the first uh, the first trance induction with soul level hypnosis that I've done. Can you tell us a little bit more about what trance is for people that maybe
0: don't know much about hypnosis?
1: Oh sure sure yeah so trance trance is a common word within hypnosis and it, it means into a very very relaxed state where the person's unconscious mind begins to open up and uh, they begin to explore, parts of them that are usually um, either not acknowledged or um, called upon or relied upon unless a person has um, experienced that uh, a few times himself. Okay. So that's part of the hypnosis process. Yes. And so I know you've
0: got a great deal of experience with mindfulness, with Jungian methods and regular talk therapy. So uh, how long have you been doing hypnosis?
1: Well, hypnosis for me um, goes way back to 2006 when I took a a beginner's class of Ericksonian hypnosis given by the state of Arizona. And uh, right then I began to understand that trance was, uh, for me at that time, kind of difficult to achieve because I was told to stare at a penny and just stare at that penny and then if I felt something, well, then maybe that would bring about a different feeling state. And I kind of felt a little bit different by, by staring at the penny, but I really didn't quite get that, that same feeling of peace and calm that I was expecting. So I began to study. So I picked up some books, uh, one by Michael Yapko called um, Trance Induction. And oh, I'm sorry, trance work, not trans but trance work. And uh, Yapko is a phenomenal hypnotherapist, and he works with the Erickson Institute and does a whole lot of groundbreaking and, um, and foundational work directly, some of it from Milton Erickson himself, and he's added his, his own concepts to it. Um, and then from there... that encouraged me to then take the advanced classes. And that kind of circles right back to where I was talking about within the book of creating the trans induction for soul level hypnosis. So I like it a lot. So, I mean, these
0: are tried and true techniques. And I know that hypnosis has been studied a lot over the years and been proven to be effective. But I think because of stage shows and pop interpretations, people have basically kind of made fun of hypnosis and sort of thought that it was weird or scary or dangerous. Uh, And I have, having been, I actually went to a Michael Yapko training, a brief one, actually. It wasn't the full one just for fun. And it was fantastic how well it worked um, when you use the techniques that are just right there. Um, I'm wondering how we can speak to the consumers that may be a little bit worried about trying out hypnosis. In the clinical setting
1: right right yeah yeah you know it's it's interesting that you say that paul you know the stage hypnosis and the, the different ways uh, you know it's shown on tv occasionally and without fail usually if i um, approach someone about hypnosis in my practice about 30 percent of the time or so people will say will i be t- barking like a dog or scratching like a chicken and depending on the person and depending, you know, on the on the situation, I might say, Well, you never know. No, or you know, I joke <laughs> around with them a little bit. But usually I keep it very clinical. And I say, No, 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 this isn't stage hypnosis. This isn't, although that those are forms of hypnosis, you know, there's no question about it. Um, they are able to achieve levels of trance on stage and they're able to do things, but they're doing it for comedic. You know levels of uh, you know of uh, you know connection with the individual now i'm familiar with a, an individual though who does who, who does um hypnosis what he calls street hypnosis where he'll just walk up to people on the street and say are you interested in changing anything and he does this at the beach in california and, um and they'll say well I don't know what do you mean and 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 he does it for therapeutic reasons but he does it out on the beach and just out in person so there are ways to actually bring about trans induction in 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 areas where people might think that it might not be achievable and yes
0: that is uh really quite interesting because um, I am not too well-versed in all the research about hypnosis. But from what I'm understanding, a lot of the clinical hypnosis guides your mind into a state, a deep, relaxing state, which allows you to get past a lot of the surface anxiety and ruminations, repetitive thought cycles, identity narrative problems, and then guides you once you're in that deep state to address something that you might find scary or difficult, or something like that. And, and other times it just actually helps you be more at peace. I mean, it can be whatever you want, I suppose, but when you're addressing something you want to change, it can actually bring you through like a, a visualization of changing it. And that is so powerful to the brain because um a lot of times our our thinking patterns and the way we actually imagine things is almost just as powerful as the actual action, um, according to certain research that I've been reading on brain science. So uh, is that sound like an elementary definition of what some hypnosis sessions can do?
1: Yeah, that actually sounds foundational. It sounds not only elementary, but very, very um, germane. It's, it's it's very important to, to for people to understand that our rational mind, we have two parts to our mind. We have a rational mind and an unconscious mind or intuitive mind. And that rational mind will want to think about things in concrete uh ways such as you know this table this computer you know all these things that are in this world the unconscious mind though deals in symbolism and it deals in metaphors so when a person is in a trance they're able to deal and and deal with things that they possibly fear within their rational life but they can deal with it sometimes in symbolic ways and in fa- and in um, and in ways that allow them to process it uh, differently than they would if they're just literally taking it from, say, like uh, reading something off of a page. Well, yes, and that does make
0: sense because most people, if they've if they feel stuck or they want to change something, have already tried literally doing it, and it hasn't really worked, and they've tried different methods. On their own or maybe just talk therapy or something like that. So I see that as value. Now, uh, a big question I think our listeners are having, which would be, what is this soul level hypnosis? And can you, I know without giving the whole book away, can you explain a little bit about what
1: that means? Sure, sure. Well, you know, from my perspective, as a counselor who's worked with people for over 15 years, something that I've Believed in for quite some time is that people have the answers that they're looking for when they arrive for the therapy session. They're aware of certain things, and some of that is in their unconscious mind. Some of that is not at the surface level, but there are these keys that they have that if they're just patiently brought to, they're able to bring them forward. So the soul level, the soul part, and the soul hypnosis is that quiet, still place that's deep within a person. And I believe it's mostly housed within their unconscious mind, but I'm not really sure exactly where it is. Uh, maybe somewhere between their heart and their in their brain or something, but it's, it's really a, a very calm and quiet part of them. Uh, and when they get there, they know it. They are very relaxed. They feel supported. They feel unconditional love. Now occasionally when I bring a person to their soul level they they're very fearful they they feel like they can't trust the experience that's about one in about every 10 people that happens to and so about 10% and <clears throat> when when that happens I I'm now aware that a person has begun to identify or those people have begun to identify some traumatic event or something that was told to them very early in life as to being who they are and what they're about. So I'll ask them to float further back in time, um, possibly in a very deep trance into in utero or possibly even before they were born to, to, um, to see and to witness some kind of light or some kind of symbol from that calm place. And then I asked them to look through the lens of that calm space, that calm light, and and look at their current issue that's at hand in their life. And literally, things begin to transform um, in in that session. They begin to see and understand things about what they were faced with by being in that calm, deep place within themselves that's beneath that previously thought of Of space of who they were.
0: So it sounds like you're trying to get them out of the everyday thinking into something deep. And now, I guess people, uh, I guess what I would wonder about soul level is, do you find that people have to be spiritual or religious to do this, or do you feel like that anybody could do this without having? Maybe they have different belief systems on what a soul is or what does that mean. You know, how do you how do you help those people that may be a little doubtful about even having what is a soul? Do I have a soul?
1: You know, that right. sort of thing. Great question. Yeah. I, um, you know, generally speaking, uh, people believe that um, they have a soul. Probably about 80% of the people that I've talked to believe that they are that they have a soul. They have some kind of deep place within them. Um, those who don't, um, I, I, you know, ask them, well, how do they conceive? Um, you know, how, like, is there... Yeah, you know, I talked with them a little bit about energy and I talked with them about molecular science. And that um in the 1950s, scientists would look at the cell and they they were confounded. They they examined what they thought was empty space within the cell and within the nucleus. And it wasn't until really powerful. Uh, electron microscopes were brought in where they actually saw, wait a minute, that's not empty space. We're not empty at our core. That's the energy in there. They're, they can actually see energy. Um, so at our core, at our deepest core, there is energy. Um, and so when I talk to them about science, those who don't believe that there's a soul oftentimes will believe in science. And I'll say, that's the space that we're trying to reach. That's the deep calm place deep within Oh, I love that! Um, I think that's
0: so interesting. Yeah, because was it the the particle machine? Uh, the I'm going to totally butcher the name. The Higgs boson particle is that what we're talking
1: about? I I think that's close. I think that that's either it or very close to it. I've heard it before. But. Oh, yes, yeah, the Higgs boson.
0: Oh, particle. Yeah. So they're trying to find s- smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller particles, like sub atoms and sub sub atoms, and then they found quarks, which are t- which are basically appearing on our instruments as. Uh, yeah basically appearing in two places almost simultaneously or moving and not being seen between
1: so well now you're getting into quantum physics and quantum science and quantum computing and quantum mechanics i love that stuff i love physics i love you know quantum yeah i mean there you wonder well does a person's soul energy exist possibly in another um you know strata or or part of a universe or something that that's Fascinating. I really, I haven't, you know, I haven't studied that to that extent.
0: There's actually some fascinating um, interviews with scientists on this very subject who are remaining objective, I think, because they're trying to just present the evidence about what all this means. And it's really hard to even understand what all this means, because if you know, if you studied the size of the universe, uh, you know that we're basically more smaller than ants. So, uh, which is a little scary for most people. Uh, that's why we just prefer to be on the earth, right? We don't want to really go off into space. Um, but there was some scientists that were talking all about string theory and all these things. So, f- so for the materialists, uh, the existential materialists who believe everything's just sort of, here it is, I don't know what it is, no spirituality, soul, it still works because we're talking about a deep energetic connection within you. And if you think about... Um, and i'm not really sure if this is true but your anxiety or depression as a pattern molecularly on a on a very uh, a small level in your neurons below the neuron connection level is the molecular level and if you're if your depression is circling and your anxiety is sparkling if you can get down to a still a more still level then you can access this i mean that's just a it's might be a stretch but i think we can say without being scientists, that's a way to interpret what the scientists are saying. Um, there was this lady who writes all these books about quantum physics and spirituality, and they're not religious, but they're just interested in the topic. And her name is Nancy Ellen Abrams. And I'm not really sure if I even, what I even think of it, but it does go into a lot of her and her husband are PhD uh, quantum physics scientists in some university in California. And I, f- I find their, their stuff quite intriguing um, so that being said, it sounds like w- you have the ability to help people get to what we can call a soul level or a deep hypnosis, um, whether or not they are agnostic or spiritual or, or, uh, materialism, uh, materialists. So it sounds like this could be for anybody. And I guess I'd like to know, um, what are some examples of, people coming to you that maybe have tried other therapies or other things where they they find that they really want to try hypnosis as a as a new approach and why, why would they do that
1: yeah fascinating so um, so people who have tried other approaches generally speaking um, have either been um, too uh, brought into the experience of what was happening to them. And uh, one of the things that I explained to them, especially using not only the soul level hypnosis, but just Erickson, Ericksonian hypnosis in general, is that um, it's it's dealing pretty much with what's called um, metaphors and, and just symbolism. So instead of, by way of example, if someone's going to um, want to stop a behavior um, you know, a session of Ericksonian hypnosis is not going to say, well, you know, in a calm state, stop that behavior, you know, quit doing that, you know, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> it's it's not going to do that at all. It's going to actually talk about a story that's custom tailored to that person dealing with either struggle or overcoming something or and it could have something to do with nature or it could have something to do with some kind of work scenario or it could have something, but it's metaphoric in nature. It's not direct hypnosis. It's indirect hypnosis.
0: And so that level, uh, I think that would help people understand that this is customized to them. It's yes. not necessarily you know, some sort of one size fits all approach where you take them through some protocol. Now, I know that the induction or trance techniques may be similar, but then you're customizing it to their situation. And trying to pay attention to what is important to them, which then in turn can help their mind or their brain or their soul
1: adjust uh, accordingly. Is that what I'm hearing? Yep. yeah, exactly. You know, our unconscious mind and our conscious mind have these safeguards. So if we're directly telling a person, you know, that this is what's occurring, you know, or this is what we need to stop. Um, and we we're, we're not fools. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna try and, you know, thwart that or work around it. But if it's indirectly spoken to in a trance, that that engages the unconscious mind into working with it to achieve, you know, some type of um uh some type of calm or some type of peace within what was happening.
0: I think that's a great definition of hypnosis. How do people know that they're coming to a hypnotherapist that is not some sort of person claiming to be a hypnotherapist, like the average consumer? Because I know in, in therapy world, we have licenses through the state and people can be sure they can look us up on the state website. They can look up our credentials, what people say about us and all of this. So uh, hypnotherapy has its own certificates of training. I know that, but how do people know they're going to somebody who might have their best interests at heart here?
1: Right. Uh, Well, they do have to call and be selective. They have to uh, possibly ask, where has that person been trained? Um, Where did they uh, get their experience? You know, where, you know, what, what's their level of uh, expertise um, possibly some examples of what they've done um, and, and situations, maybe a case study or a case example of, of, of what, they've, um, what they've worked with. Uh, some people specialize in uh, specific things. And um, I'm kind of a generalist when it comes to hypnosis. Um, I just re- really want to work with the individual and in whatever they present but um, to answer your question directly, on my website, I have examples of hypnosis and um, and where I've studied hypnosis and a, a short video about hypnosis. Um, the board here in Arizona does not oversee hypnosis. They don't consider it a type of uh, therapeutic intervention such as other interventions like um, CBT, EMDR, DBT. And um, and and so on. Am I motivational interviewing? Um, so their, their hands are their their hands are off of it. They, they don't want to oversee it and they don't uh, call people onto it. So so a person can actually practice hypnosis, stay with a master's degree and um, not be licensed with the state of Arizona and still see people. Now I'm licensed with the state. And uh, I treat those people like I do my regular clients and write notes and, you know, submit to insurance and things such as that. Oh, that's good. So,
0: I mean, you can use hypnosis as an intervention if you're a therapist. But if you're not a therapist, you could use hypnosis, but you probably need a long disclaimer. And so people going to somebody who's not licensed, maybe they need to make sure they trust the person and all of that. Because there's plenty of people that are wonderful healers that don't have a license I think that's where the word of mouth and the free market come into
1: play. So, so a little bit, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you're right on that word of mouth bar for sure, because half of the people that I work with hypnosis have been referred by people who have either had hypnosis um, and they're sent to me or um, they, um, uh, they, they've heard something I've done in hypnosis and then they want to schedule an appointment I do have another case example though to mention if you want to. Yes, absolutely. There was a gal, it's very fascinating. There was a gal who I was using EMDR with um, for about a month and a half. And the only thing that would not um, relieve itself of was this nagging feeling in her neck. And she had this neck pain. Yeah. And whatever I used, I mean, and she was a zero in disturbance you know, on the sud scale for EMDR, that's the subjective unit of distress for those of you who are not uh, knowledgeable about, about the EMDR. So she was down to a zero on everything, except for this pain in her neck, and I tried bilateral movements, tapping, all these different things. And so on a whim, I said, well, why don't we try some hypnosis? Well, we did some hypnosis. She went back to a past life where yeah, and this person had a traumatic death, and uh, and then when she she connected to her higher power, which she had a belief in, I didn't suggest that to her, and th- this higher power healed her throat. She came out of the the session, and her throat pain was gone, and it's been gone now for over a year.
0: Yes. So that is really interesting. I want to definitely, in case somebody just hit the stop button when they heard past life kind of talk about that. So (laughs) whether or not you believe in past lives or whatever, it doesn't matter because let's just say we're, we're agnostic to that as the practitioner, certain people believe in that certain people don't, doesn't matter because let's just say it doesn't exist because we're not taking a stance on that. Let's just say it doesn't, it's a metaphorical, it's a metaphor in her mind of right. what happened, somebody or some part of her, or a memory or a historical something that she's feeling died, and right. then she asked a higher power for healing. Somatically, she felt better. Uh-huh. We don't know what's happening there. We can know through brain science that placebo works half the, mostly way better than drugs. We know this, That's right. That's right. or and, and most of it, and the FDA. To pass a drug onto the market, you can do almost as many tests as you want through as many labs as you want and as many studying participants as you want, but you only have to get two of them to beat placebo. Not very many. Wow. Prozac, 25 tests to beat placebo. So if that tells you something, therapy uh, works better than placebo. It's 79% effective.
1: Right.
0: Um uh, that's what people say. Uh, the, the actual statistic is 79% of people that received psychotherapy for six sessions reported having a better mood, better experience than the people that did not. And this was mm-hmm. 10,000 study meta-analysis. So 10,000 studies times how many thousands of people were in each study. Anyway, so that could be that. Now, if you in, are into some spiritual belief systems about that, maybe that was that. We don't know, we're not taking you're a exactly right.
1: right, Paul. you're exactly right. I didn't question her, you know, is, is it something that um, if 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 we don't go to a past life, you know within the session, are, are you not going to get the relief that you're that you're seeking? Um, do I, do I have to support and and be aware that you have a past life for this to work? none of that even came up because we were just doing standard hypnosis and she spontaneously went back into that. Place within herself um, in that past life, as she called it. So um, yeah, it's fascinating. It's, 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 it's a wonderful world to, to, to be with when you're working with these folks, because they're bringing into the session themselves. And I'm not here to regulate them. I'm not here to tell them, no, that's not right, or this is the, what you need to do, or this is what you have to do. Sure. And my expertise, I could give advice, you know, clinical advice if needed. I'd rather have that person reach within themselves to arrive at how to best move forward. And that's what she was doing. And I I applaud her for it. That's wonderful. And then also just speaking of the somatic
0: feeling that she got where she was feeling like her neck was healed. um, Dr. John Sarno, who's a medical doctor, MD out of New York. uh, He wrote, wrote many, many books about Essentially, what he saw as, you know people having phantom uh, having back pain, knee pain, neck pain, when the MRIs did not really show any problems and, and all of these tests. And he's, he uh, was very large into the mind-body uh, connection. Genetic, he actually only right. died a few years ago at 93. Ah.
2: Um,
0: but he, he, was, uh, he was showing x-rays and MRIs of people, I saw this that had terrible looking backs, terrible spines, no back pain, they reported. Other wow. people, perfect looking spines, back pain, back pain, back pain. So what we've learned from psychology and neurobiology and um, all of these different fields is that a, a lot a, a lot of pain is somatic. And we, and we mm-hmm. don't f- fully know why every some people feel that pain and hang out of that pain and other people don't. Now, there's yeah. real pain too. There's structural pain. There's issues with that, right? Oh, sure. But what we're talking about when all of the science and all the tests are indicating there doesn't seem to be anything wrong on our end. Mm-hmm. It's definitely nerve pain. There's definitely nerves saying ouch, right? But those nerves may be programmed to say ouch because of something mentally, because mind-body are connected. We, we, we used to treat them as different. And so I've also had people, um, just during EMDR, which is, you know, definitely regulated by the state, definitely a a very empirically proven uh, technique, not that hypnosis is as well, it's just not as regulated. Um, So where somebody was processing a past memory, and all of a sudden, they felt this, like, pain in their stomach, and then they felt pain in their throat. And I was like, oh, God, what am I doing? I just kept processing the memory. I was like, am I hurting them? And eventually. All of a sudden, they had this mind uh, thought in their mind that they had to express themselves like they never had. And mm. all of a sudden, they said all of these things that they had never said to this person who abused them. And they said that wow. in my office, and they opened up their eyes. And while well, we were doing fantastic, um, like an empty chair, kind of evo, right? I yeah. didn't even mean to do that. Like yeah. I was, I didn't <laughs> even mean to do Gestalt. And they said that during the memory processing, because we had done many sessions on this really bad memory, because they had intrusive thoughts about it, that they felt this thing in their stomach, then they felt this thing in their chest, and they felt this thing in their throat, and all of a sudden, all these words came out. And I had, ne- and this person, if you met them, there, they seem like that personality type that's super docile. Um, you know, they can't say no, they're a pleaser. They, um, if you said, how are you doing? They say, I'm doing fine. They wouldn't really probably tell you how they're really doing, but Uh all of this angry words came out. And then Uh after a few more sessions, they told me that they, uh, had felt more free than they'd ever felt. And, uh, and it was Uh really, it just was strange that that came out. So these things, you know, The body remembers patterns, and the brain remembers patterns. So we don't – our technology is still in the beginning stages of even understanding how the brain works. I mean, Mm -hmm. we might know the areas. We may know where the memory centers are, but we still don't know how this thing works. And then the brain is spread throughout your body, throughout your nervous system. That's all part of your brain. So that being said, hypnosis is a is a big tool for that. So I wanna I wanted to ask you about the book in particular. Um I have not read this one yet. So uh can you tell us just a little bit about what you were writing the book for and who it's for and maybe some some of that sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now this book is tailored towards people who want to understand how can the power of their very own internal workings, which I'm calling their soul, you know, which people, a lot of people subscribe to. Um, what 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 if there are keys to who they are and how to overcome things that are already within them that they have developed over time and some of whom, some of which they've been born with. Um, it's just a part of their like DNA practically. It's it's like encoded within them almost. And, and for them to reach in there and use that as a way to move forward, that's, you know, that's what I wrote the book for. I want people to literally use that as a, a step in order to move in the direction of health and, and, he, and, and overcoming things within their life.
0: So this is also written for people to start discovering their own healing? Yes. So this is written for the consumer
1: or the therapist? Oh, yeah, it's written for anyone. And you can anyone. get it on Apple Books? That's where it's available right now, yes. Okay, wonderful. And it, I know
0: eventually you're going to probably put them elsewhere, but that's a good start for all of us people that love Apple products. Um, so, Thank you. Wonderful. So, yeah. I just wanted to say?
1: follow up on the somatic part that you were talking about there, Paul. You know, Doctors have actually, some a few doctors have referred people to me saying, you know what, we've run all these tests. We've done all these things. There's nothing wrong with this person, but they're still experiencing some kind of pain. We're believing it's it's somatic, it's somatic pain, and I know, and from being a trauma therapist for years, people have those stored somatic experiences locked away within their body, within their cellular memory, and when when we process it, and you could use, I could use hypnosis or EMDR or a variety of things, one of which one of which I'd like to also talk about today a uh, different one that's couched in Jungian uh, work, okay, um, if there's time. And um, so, right on. So, the it's fascinating because there are ways to release that. It's almost like the body is saying, pay attention to me and listen to me. And once a person has heard what that part of the body is trying to say, Oftentimes, there's relief. Oftentimes, it's released. It just needs to be acknowledged and validated. So, yeah,
0: that is um, a thing that's been emerging in popular and med- in, uh, integrative medicine, for sure, and also in Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine, which is that symptoms are not something to be whacked over the head with a the medication. They are a, sing- a signal and a symbol of something wrong that we need to figure out what that is. And so, what you're saying is that some of that pain, the doctors are saying, "Hey, listen to me, acknowledge me." And one of the things we do when we have trauma, one of uh, or PTSD, one of the main symptoms is avoidance. And I I don't know all of why people have pain, uh, but I I know that it, or somatic pain that it doesn't seem to be structurally induced, but there is a component. I mean, it could be emotional, could be trauma, could be could be sitting all day. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know why why people have pain, but what you're saying is, hey, pay attention to me at the very least. Pay attention to me. And if we pay attention to the pain and learn to not avoid it, it may go through the natural process that it's meant to bring us to, or maybe it's a clue to look into something. Obviously, I know people have – I read this the other day, actually. I won't name the celebrity, but some celebrity has stage 4 cancer. And I was reading the article – and they're like, well, what happened? Like, what happened? And they just said, I felt I had a feeling of being unwell, and uh, and this person had no, didn't have any idea they had cancer. I had a feeling of being unwell and something else. Like, I, I felt odd, I felt off, and I went into the hospital. I just felt like something was wrong. And maybe they've been ignoring it. Maybe they, would you know, had, obviously they're in stage four. They probably had some sig- signals and signs before that, but. Uh, And all of a sudden, they go in there, and sure enough, they've got stage four cancer that they're now being treated for. Thank goodness they listened, because if they hadn't listened, they might have passed away, (laughs) you know? Well. So uh, that being said, yeah, I want to jump into uh, a little bit about maybe the Jungian stuff, if we've
1: got time. Sure, sure. Yeah. So shifting gears here a little bit. Yeah. Carl Jung's work fascinates me. His work with the shadow self, anima and animus, um, anima and animus, uh, according to Carl Jung, those are two parts within each individual. There's male and female, uh, so to speak, within all of us. Um, But getting back to the shadow um, specifically. So shadow self is a is a part of oneself that a person typically would want to disown or they feel ashamed of and that's according to young that's a part that that person needs to acknowledge embrace and welcome into the person and and hear from and understand in order to feel whole um that's you know that's you know so so Jung's work with dialectics and alchemy, um, and specifically alchemy and psychology, was just fascinating to me, um, and I'm continuing to read and research his his work. Um, what he did was he combined alchemy and psychology by looking at those out al- those dialectics, and for for the listeners. Um, who might not be familiar with that, dialectic means opposites. So there's a north to a south, there's an east to a west, there's hot to cold. Okay. So some recent work that I've been doing uh, that combines shadow work and the use of dialectics and this, this talk of alchemy dialectics um, involves helping people who are not responsive to EMDR. And I've had a small grouping of people who have processed specific traumas using EMDR, but then they get stuck or they they cannot actually process a specific thing within themselves. So I've thought, wow, I mean, why not, you know, use some of this this new work and see if there can be some relief? And these people without reliving the the trauma were able to step their toe into seeing what had happened and while doing that feel the emotion feel the emotion within their body locate where within their body they feel that that sensation and that emotion bring about any sense of sound smell or color And then also any symbolic or metaphoric representation of what that represents to them within their life. And then I asked that person to set that aside and then either float backward in time in their life when they felt calm and peace. And if there isn't any, then forward as they could imagine calm and peace. And then I asked them, Look within their body. Then, so this is in a, a closed-eye sort of meditative state. Look within their body then, and ask them what colors, and, and 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 feelings, and smells, and symbols are associated with that calm state and that relaxed state. And once they've got that locked in, then I say, breathe in the color of calm and those symbols of calm, and exhale through the part of their body where they felt the disturbance the the color of disturbance and the symbols of disturbance and smells of disturbance and they do that for a period of two minutes i've got some case studies where people have reported that following that small guided meditation people see the event differently they feel peace and calm about what had happened and they no longer have a disturbance So that sounds like you've combined multiple modes
0: of therapy in one. I'm hearing guided meditation, so a little bit of mindfulness, uh, cognitive, you know, they call it mindfulness-based cognitive therapy or mindfulness meditation, mindfulness-based stress reduction, uh, which is very clinically proven to work for a variety of issues, Um, And then you're combining that with this Jungian philosophical concept of the opposites and of the symbolism because alchemy was all about The the way he looked at alchemy was it was all about trying to express something deep in the human soul or psyche or mind That was unable to be expressed with words and so used elements And colors and each color had a different reference point and different feelings And it's really getting into that deep part of being human that's hard to explain that language fails at and then you're combining that also seems like with um, some sort of way to visualize the issues that the person is dealing with or the incident the person is dealing with. And you sort of kind of combine these things. It sounds like, am I missing something? No. The
1: only thing that I would add to that, uh, which because I didn't speak about the label of it, is that breathing. So when they're breathing through that part of their body, I remembered yeah. when I was doing yoga... Um, and I still do yoga, but there was an instructor who would say, breathe through you know, that part of your body. And I thought, "That that's powerful. That really helped me in yoga. I wonder if this would help within this work. And lo and behold, it does. It, it really begins to help people with it. I actually, just for our
0: listeners, I'm going to do a little demonstration. I actually uh, talked to a yoga instructor who also does some therapy type things, and they they had this visualization. Obviously, you're not really breathing through your body. It's all about your perception. So you kind of lay down on the ground, and you, you simply lay down on the ground in a comfortable position, and you somebody guides you, and they say, okay. Now, imagine there's a hole in your head, that air on the top of your head, that air comes in and out of, which sounds weird. <laughs> so here's what we do. You breathe wow. in through your feet and your hands and your lower body, and you pretend when you exhale that you're exhaling visually out of the top of your head. Wow! So, so I'll do it with you. So, sure. here we go. Okay. I want you to breathe in through your feet and through your arms and your hands, and then breathe out through the hole in your head. Now, I want you to breathe in through the hole in your head, and I want you to breathe out through your feet and your arms. Now, I want you to breathe oh. in through your feet and your hands – out through the hole in the head and one more time in through the hole in your head and out through the feet in your arms. And they kept going with that. And then there was also like a lake in your sort of stomach area and mountains and kind of visualizing it. But that, that breathing, just that simple idea. It was yeah. calming. It helped me. It, it made me feel like I was directing my breathing in some way. Versus sometimes when say, people say, just focus on your breath, it's kind of like, okay, am I breathing right? Am I breathing right. enough? Do I have enough uh-huh. oxygen? And it can be yeah. a little bit triggering to just focus on your breath if you're an anxious person. So breathing through a hole in my head that I know is completely fictional on right. the top of my head and then breathing out through my feet, that kind of relaxed me. So how did you feel? Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. It was great. It, it was very calming. And, uh, reminded me a little bit of um yoga breathing which is pranayama pranayama is a um, sanskrit term for um, yoga breathing and what you do is you you close one nostril breathe through that nostril hold for 10 seconds and then close that nostril and breathe through the other one hold for 10 seconds Breathe through that one oh, for 10 seconds. And then breathe, yeah. So
0: for the listeners at home that couldn't see us doing this, we're breathing in through one nostril while we're plugging the other.
1: Uh-huh, right, yes.
0: And then we're plugging it, the other one and breathing out that one. Thank you. And I've heard different things. I've heard you can hold the breath, or some people hold it, hold after they breathed out, Which, uh-huh. and I'm not sure which one is the best one, but... It, I guess it depends on your comfort level, but I found that very helpful to calm the nervous system. I have no yeah. idea exactly why, but there was a. I need to you need to Google this, but I looked up. There was a some doctor sent me an article on how one of your nostrils is, is connected to some sort of nerve in your brain, and I wow. think it's the left side. And so he was saying if you're breathing through your left side nostril and then switching to your right, it does something with a certain nerve that can lead to
1: some calming. This was on WebMD. So, wow, I wonder if that's the polyvagus nerve or one of those nerves that goes through the whole body. and It may the- have to do with polyvagal responses.
0: So what we're all talking about right now, I mean, just for the people out there, is that we live in a really frantic, scary, postmodern world right now. And people are, um, you know, the Internet was invented in, in, in my lifetime. But the Internet that we all remember in the 90s where you'd dial up with a modem and things would load slowly that's gone. And now we have this fast internet and now we not only have fast internet, we have it in our phones and our watches if we want it. And most people do. And it's a new thing humans are trying to adapt to, but it's very stimulating. I mean, uh, you know, we can go watch a sunset or watch the ocean or look at a tree or look at a garden and feel like, ah, life is slowed down and so nice. Right. But when we're running around the city or whatever we're doing, and then we keep looking at the next you know, Twitter tweet or Reddit post or or news website or whatever we're doing or playing a game while waiting for somebody or on social media. It's sending all of these images into our minds and bodies and sounds that we may not even have been prepared for. And so the result of that, uh, what we're finding, not only of course, phone addiction, we won't even get into internet addiction. That's a whole thing going in the DSM, that's by psychiatrists. We'll just talk on the therapy level here for a second of just overstimulating the nervous system to the point where people are having insomnia, they're jittery, I mean, prescription medications since the pandemic began, have gone through the roof. In fact, there was actually at one point, I believe in the summer, there was a worry that we were going to run out of certain medications. So people are anxious. And so we're just talking, you know, therapy has so many modules and modes to it, but there's some simple things you can do to work on calming your nervous system. But one of the things is you utilize the phone and your computer. Don't let your phone and your computer utilize you.
1: Oh, that reminds me of a Benjamin Franklin quote. You know, drive your business. Don't let it drive you. I like it. Yes, exactly.
0: And so with any sort of mindless Internet use, we eventually gets you what I call, people have called it a technology loop or gets you down the rabbit hole. The next thing you know, you've spent an hour on the Internet. It's not like a TV show. I mean, that's addicting enough. Oh, but well, good. The next episode of my favorite TV show is coming out. Oh, I'll just watch and now we have it on demand. You watch the next one and watch the next one. We don't have to wait till next Thursday night to watch what happens. Well, the internet is just like, oh, this reminds me of this. Well, that reminds me of this. And that reminds me of my high school friend. I'll message them. So where what are we doing at that point? we're, you know, and of course, all the social media money comes from the advertisements that they pool based on our habits so it it, it, there's nothing we're not taking a stance again that the internet is bad we're not luddites we're literally doing this over zoom and we both live right now in the same state but we're doing we're 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 saying use it as a tool don't make it your world because you know then it, it can be difficult uh to navigate the world if you're confused as to what's happening and you're getting many mixed messages. So these, these techniques are just things to help you get in and to access uh, your, deeper, your deeper wisdom. And that's something I really liked and enjoyed that you said earlier about that people have the answer within themselves. And I've seen that so often. But oftentimes, people get caught up in a complex or a pattern of behavior or an addiction or a mindset that just starts ruling their life. And I remember this most clearly the clearest difference I remember seeing this overnight was when I worked with a lot of guys on parole and probation. And they were caught up in this, you know, this fantasy or that fantasy or this behavior or drug use or drug trafficking and, you know, gang turf wars and all this. And I remember, you know, talking to them in therapy and, you know, all of a sudden one of them would get arrested and I get a, a email from the parole board and they say, hey, your client's here. Do you want to come down to the to the jail and see them for a session or two and figure out. And especially if they were a minor, I did, you know, if they're a minor, I get the parent involved, the caregiver, Hey, let's go down there. Let's work on a plan to try to like help them stay off, you know, get off parole, get off probation, stay out of jail, stay out of these bad situations. I remember going down there after, usually it took me two or three days past the email to get down there. So they've been there maybe all weekend, maybe three or four days at that time. And when I go talk to them, I felt like I was talking to a different person. We'd, they'd come out in the room, they're in the the jail fatigues, you know, they don't have any of their cool swag on, they got like sweatpants and a t-shirt. And I talk to them and they say, you know, I, they would just talk at me. I've been thinking, I, you know, in my office, I'd have to get them to talk. And when I go to the jail, they would talk at me a million miles. I've been thinking about this. I've been journaling. I've been reading this book. I have been, uh, you know, we're talking to the other guys and I really need to, I need to get out of this gang. I need to stop doing this. I need to go to school. And it's Good. just all, you know, cause they sat there in contemplation. That's a structure. Maybe they had that. Well, they had structure, right. And they had school in there uh, for the temporary, of course. Yeah. The adolescents, but a lot of them had a lot of time by themselves too. Because when you first get into parole and probation, if you're a juvenile, they put you on this system where when you're first there, you have to go to bed at like 6 p.m. And the better behavior you have, the later you can stay up. And if you stay up past a certain time, you can watch a movie with everybody and stuff like that, right? But otherwise, you just have to go to school, work out, eat, and go to bed. And then if you have the better and better behavior, the longer, longer you get to stay up, the more privileges you get. You can go outside to this like area where it's, you know, walls and everything. So they had this time inside. So there's an example right there. They had the answer within themselves. But if you had asked them that same question two weeks before when they were out and they had all their friends around and they came into my office, they'd tell me, wow, that's just, I'm not doing that. That's stupid, whatever. Doing the right thing. I, I'm not going to school. My mom is wrong and then they had that time. So, we're just we're per- trying to prevent that situation by just, hey, come <laughs> come meet us for an hour. We'll do some exercises. We're not trying to push an agenda. We we don't have an agenda. Obviously, we don't want people to kill other people. I think most therapists are anti-violence, but we're we're trying to just help you live your life however that means, no matter your belief system. And we belief systems are only so valuable. Um exactly. action is everything. What's that?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Making a choice to make a change, you know, and sometimes change can be uncomfortable. Sometimes change can take a, a place where a person looks within themselves, like Paul's talking about here, like we what we've been talking about. And, and that can be helpful. That can be useful. You know, think about, you know, communication with other people. How well are you doing with other people? Are you at peace with others that are within your life? and? I mean if not there there's there's there are ways to help you with that. There are ways to you know to to deal with um that that block or that lack um and 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 to experience freedom and to experience good flow within life.
0: And freedom is actually being able to make choices that you want versus yeah. feeling compelled to make choices that you're not really sure about and all of that. So that's kind of one of the definitions of freedom. Uh, I want to know a little bit about, um, the, before we, I wanted to ask you about the mindfulness coaching, but, um, I, I, you know, uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, we're, I apparently we're just starting the wave of immunizations. And again, people can do that if they want and not, if they don't, it's not our issue, but for safety concerns in your situation, I know you've been doing a lot of remote work. Um, as have a lot of therapists, right? Because we sit in a room with somebody pretty much closer than usually five feet apart. (laughs) We're breathing the same air, you know, and uh, based on the fact that uh, this is a dangerous time uh, for your immune system, a lot of people are choosing to go remote. So uh, what are people's options right now if they want to do some of this hypnosis or some of this um, guided uh, meditations and things like that?
1: yeah uh, well, they can call me, they can reach out to me and, uh, and and if they're within the state of Arizona, because I only have a um, you know location here, but in general, if people who are outside this state, you know look look for people who are either practicing hypnosis or offering you know like guided meditation and what you asked about recently, Paul, the mindfulness coaching that that can be very helpful. Um, there there are people who literally are listeners they they sit and they they offer unconditional positive regard and they're not interested in judging people they just want to bear witness and listen to what that person has to say. We all have a story to tell and we have things that we want to speak and 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 speak of. And, and that's also another part of counseling. So the mindfulness coaching that I offer, the mindfulness part of it is the, one of the four pillars of DBT. I've studied dialectic behavioral therapy and um, specifically the states of mind part of mindfulness. So it's, it says that we have two parts to our mind. We have an emotional mind and we have a rational mind. And the rational mind deals with numbers and facts and figures. The emotional mind deals with feeling states like happiness, sadness, um, fatigue or anger or something such as that. Well, if we're stuck in one of those minds at like the, the, the end of one of those minds, like either rational, too much rational thinking or too much emotional, what the lenihan group says is bring in something from the opposite to offer balance. So and that's just really a form of di- it's, it's definitely a form of dialectics, I, you know, thinking maybe it even came from young originally. But anyway, so, you know, so it's, you know, if you're feeling out of control with the emotional mind, start counting backwards from threes from 33. How do you feel when you get down to zero? Start looking around your room and identifying all the colors that are within your room. Usually, what that person's thinking about doesn't exist outside these four walls anyway. So, if that person can anchor themselves within this present moment, that might lessen the disturbance. So, mindfulness coaching is a part of that. The states of mind. Um, you know, I um, I also bring in uh, mindfulness from the uh, the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, Thich Nhat Hung was a, a, f- a fantastic uh, and prolific writer. Uh, he's late in life. Uh, I think he's in his 90s now. Um, he suffered a stroke about six years ago. Um, but uh, he says things like, when you're washing your hands, just be with the water and the soap. That's all that exists anyway. Just be with that process. When you're walking, just pay attention to the ground beneath your feet. And Paul, you're right. In times like this, when we're plagued by all these different worries and concerns and the pandemic itself, right? When we bring ourselves into these calmer places by focusing on what it is that we can do to, you know, just with the water and the soap or just walking, that helps us disconnect from all of the intense worry. It doesn't say, you know, that you don't have to safeguard yourself. No, no, go ahead and safeguard yourself if you're walking or if you're meeting with people, but, you know, but pay attention to just the small steps of going, you know, just with the present moment. And so that's
0: what we call a practice because some people say, well, I did that yesterday and I didn't feel any better. So we have to do practice just like sports or writing or music or actually when you were a baby, walking was a practice Uh, But we have to practice this stuff. And the more you practice it, there are unending articles and studies on mindfulness meditation, mindfulness action, mindfulness states of mind, these skills. There are unending studies on DBT skills as showing how effective they are when you practice them. Because we're retraining our mind to get out of this mode it's in. So I'm curious about the, the mindfulness coaching. Could people can you do that without being someone's therapist or is that something you have to do? Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a form of just regular coaching. So I could do that with someone who's outside the state of Arizona. I, I don't do it under my license. I just do it as a mindfulness coach and and, um, Oh, please go ahead. So in that situation, the person
0: is basically just learning from you. There's not really, there's no therapy going on. And so you're just teaching them the principles, practicing it with them, and then just seeing how it goes. I like that. So that's really good for our listeners because we do have listeners all over the world um, if they want to try the mindfulness coaching. Um, Do you have any number of sessions that you recommend for that?
1: I recommend uh, at least one session to kind of get a person's feet wet. With it, and if they feel like that's beneficial, somewhere between two and three um, total. If a person is interested in ongoing um, meditative type of sessions where we're just doing uh, meditation uh, as a group or one on one, that could be scheduled uh, regularly, say like once a month or once every other week or once a quarter. Um, Studies have shown that uh, meditation helps calm, you know, the, 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 uh, the nervous system helps bring down the nervous system, anxiety, and, uh, helps regulate depression and helps grow, um, gray matter. In one study showed it helps actually in the uh, brain, the brain. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad that you said that someone might wonder, may matter where in my refrigerator? <laughs> 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 so,
0: so that being said, uh, you know one thing I remember um, from Michael Yapko speaking of him bringing up again, just for hypnosis or even these mindfulness coaching sessions. Not that somebody would able ever publish this, but have you ever allowed clients to record you doing a meditation or something like that, so that they could listen I to know. it later?
1: Okay. Uh, Yes, I I have, and I welcome it. I just ask that the person ask me first, so you know that there's that transparency for both of us. But um, oh, for sure, I encourage it because that's that person's session. That's that that person can replay it. They can benefit from that uh, in the future.
0: Yes, and uh, one thing I, I liked about Michael Yapko is that at some point in his career, he just started saying to people, unless you tell me, no, I'm going to record every session and upload it to a portal for you to listen to, which I thought was so cool. It's like your own personal thing. He just said, don't, his only thing was don't broadcast it, which is fair enough. Yeah. You know, it's your personal therapy. Um, but I was, I was just impressed by that, that he did that. And it, and it was recently, I, I worked with a client who was in a quite a difficult state of a change. Let's say. And I was, I did some um, EMDR with them. I did some meditation stuff, mindfulness meditation stuff. With them. I did some guided visualizations. I did some relaxations and just talk therapy. And they said, listen, this is so helpful to me. Can I please start recording our sessions with my phone? I said, sure. So we just recorded. He said, even the talk sessions were useful to him because I was, I mean, I guess, I don't know what I was doing. I was just being supportive and, but I was telling him, truths because he was in such a difficult state at the time that he was unable to tell himself truths about himself. And I knew him because I had t- known him a while before the crisis. So I was just trying to reinforce positive things about him and his his life. And he said that if he found it so helpful that he would listen to our sessions every day until the next week. And then eventually he got out of the crisis. And I don't even think he's recording our sessions anymore at all. But I found it very useful. So, especially with mindfulness and hypnosis, those are things that you can just, you know, use and record if the client's okay with
1: it. Um, I mean, if you were okay with it, as long as you ask, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. I I encourage it. I think that, that it can be definitely useful for them. It's their work. It's theirs. So, you know, um, I don't, if, if there's time, I'd sure like to mention a little bit about the evolution of psychotherapy and, and some of the things that I met, that I saw there as far as how it pertains to therapy. Great. So, um, one of their overriding um, messages was what I thought was interesting, and as, as a summation of attending most of their, um, of their courses, there um, is a term that I've created, but it's from their work. It's called measurable hope. So we're to offer hope to people, but not just hope and we hope that someone gets there, but actually quantifiably measurable steps and a path towards getting to, you know, help and to get a person through uh, what they're faced with. And what I really like about that is that, um, it, it, that it speaks to like a Rogerian kind of hope where, you know, a person's best foot is, is put forward. And there's this, you know, unconditional positive regard um, at, at helping that person achieve their goals.
0: So measurable hope. And I, I my, my take on that, because I actually did attend some of the Evolution of Psychotherapy conference this year online, and I'm signed up to go in person next year um, in December. I'm really hoping that the world will be open enough at that point to actually go because I signed up. Um but what, I, what I'm projecting onto that is measurable, meaning we know this works. Not every therapy is best for every person, just like not every food is best for every person. Not every temperpedic mattress is best for every back style. But we know this works. So it's a matter of you. You don't have to believe in it. You just have to know that measurably... With our measurements and with all the studies that have ever been done on psychotherapy, it works. You might have to find the right therapist, you might have to find the right method. Yeah. Just like I might have to find the right repair shop to repair my bumper on my car. I'm not right. taking that to the oil change,
1: guys. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, just like your car yeah. Right, go ahead. I was just gonna say, just like your car doesn't get repaired unless you drive it to the repair shop to have the oil changed or to have the tires rotated. Therapy doesn't exist unless that person is willing to schedule the session to come in. And there's that meeting place between the therapist and the, and the client to work on these goals and to get it done. But it, you know, I mean, can it be, there are helpful things that can be done outside of therapy, but within the session, that's where like, there's a symbiotic, you know, nature between the the person who's receiving the therapy and the therapist to help them. and, And it's that, coming together of, you know, of thought and ideas to move forward. Absolutely.
0: And as a therapist, I try to remove all the mystery and and all this old school ego-based therapy stuff from like the last, from like 1920, when therapists would like sit on their couch and smoke a pipe and they were mostly doctors at the time. And then they were doing all the therapy psychiatrists were, and they'd be on the couch and it's free associating and they'd tell you what they thought or, I mean, we're getting rid of that. Okay. Uh, any therapist who's, who's still kind of talking down to you, you don't need to go to. Um, right. Find a therapist that tells you what we're doing, tells you what they're doing, and also sets goals with you. Mm-hmm. And, and we know what we're working on. And then micro goals. What is our goal this session? What do we want to focus on? What has been plaguing you the worst? Or what is the biggest thing you want to gain? It's not rocket science to focus on what are the goals. Anyway,
1: go ahead. Exactly. And how do you rate this session? How well did it go? Did it meet your mark? Did it meet your needs? Yeah. And now we're getting into the work of Scott Miller and uh,
0: his institute. But yes, therapists, we don't need to have a fragile ego. We we do not know what's best. We can't read minds. We don't know. So we asking the client: Is this was this helpful today? What would be better? I I try to do that. I'm not saying I'm some sort of perfect saint, but uh, you you can do the worksheets so you make sure you do every time with Scott Miller's worksheets or the session outcome rating scales, what we're talking about, it's all free on the internet and uh, session rating scales and outcome rating scales. And I did that actually for a few years where I actually gave almost all my clients those sheets to fill out and I would learn from them. But, but even, even if you don't give them the sheet, you can ask them, what, what do you feel like we didn't cover? What could I do better? What was the best part of the session for you? What was the worst part of the session for you? Um, what do you feel like you gained from this? What do you feel like you're lacking from this meeting? And that, doesn't take much as a the therapist because we might have all the skills, but I don't know exactly which ones to apply. And then I don't know exactly which ones actually felt like it worked on the person. Now I know they're all working at some level, but it's like somebody comes in, they're like, I want a paint job. And I'm like, oh, good, I'm a car painter. Sweet, I'll paint your car. And they're like, okay, sweet, bye. I don't. I didn't say what color, what kind of glossiness. When do you want it? How much are you willing to spend? I'm not. I, I need to get in the nitty gritty. So measurable hope for me knows we know this works. Now, if you're willing to participate, that's the barrier, and that is a barrier for some people. They're afraid. They don't want to tell you the the full story. They don't want to tell you the truth. They're afraid of what they might find, and that's a symptom or that's that's a difficulty they're going through. But if you let go and you can trust and you find a trustworthy therapist that you believe in and that you and that is trained and is is mindful and and they're not going to be some perfect deity but is doing the work themselves tries to at least practice what they preach on some level you're gonna have the gains you're gonna have the measurable hope you're not even just gonna need hope anymore you're gonna have actual change
1: right exactly Yeah, if someone shows up to me and, you know, within my practice and I'm and I mentioned to them something about the soul level hypnosis, if they're like, you know, I'm really not that that's not for me. I don't continue to talk about that. I'll move on to another form of therapy. Um, But um, I, you know, people, though, who do seek specifically hypnosis or I see where there's a fit for that. I'll mention it to them. And um, a lot of people are receptive and gain some relief and and key insights from themselves to what's there. Uh, That other work, the dialectics and the alchemy, you know, the Carl Jung's, where they're looking at, you know, the feeling state within the body and breathing out through their body. Um, That's recent work that I've done. And I've seen some very, very substantial results with that, too. So I would you know, move towards something like that as other therapists can usually do, you know, if something's not, you know, materializing with one type of work, you know, move towards something else. Um, One of the, one of the offerings at the evolution of psychotherapy recently was motivational interviewing. And I was blown away by the such basic, what I thought was really, really basic stuff and I just called it basic, but I, I I humbly submit there's a method to that form of therapy that is profound and it's very, very useful. Um, I, I've seen good results with the MI as well. Yeah, so motivational interviewing
0: is a whole episode on that we would need to do, but uh, maybe we will. I love motivational interviewing and there is a method to help people when yes. they're not ready maybe to do the action stage or the even the contemplation stage of right. therapy of of working on something and maybe they're still thinking about it maybe they're just like i don't know because you you know when it comes down to it a lot of people they may not know all the science but they certainly know what the problem is and they certainly might be able to envision what what they want differently and that's what we do and that's the magic of and the science, and the art of, of what we do. So, Andrew, uh, yeah, I want to just say it's been a pleasure having you on. What else do you want to kind of tell the audience as we kind of wrap up?
1: I What I'd like to say is I encourage anyone who's listening, if they feel like uh, there's something that could either be changed within their life or that they're stuck with, uh, I want to let you know, Therapists, or many therapists, are open to um, literally measurable pathways towards getting you to your goals. So, you know, I want to let you know that um, there is hope, and and there is a way in order to, to address things. Um, I, I want to thank you for your time, and I want to thank you for your listening ear. And uh, if you feel uh, if you feel open to checking out my book in Apple Books. Uh, as paul mentioned it before it is um, hypnosis with the soul and it's written by me andrew henry malpc and i'm grateful for again for you listening and thank you paul for your time thank you andrew
0: And there you have it. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast. Until next time, I'm wishing you all a safe and peaceful week. I really enjoyed my conversation with Andrew Henry about hypnosis and obviously many other topics. Check out his book if you like. The link is in the show notes. If you are looking for an EMDR, International Association Consultant, I am now an EMDRIA consultant in training and am providing 15 of the 20 hours needed to become an EMDRIA certified therapist. My group has begun and we are meeting on Wednesdays online. For details, check out CounselingSupervisorGR.com or HealthForLifeGR.com or just send me an email. If you are in need of counseling, do not hesitate to make an appointment with a local counselor in your area. You can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in the Grand Rapids area at Health for Life Grand Rapids and the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids by visiting www.healthforlifegr.com or call the office at 616-200-4433. The recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of Paul Krauss and his guest, and while these are based upon the literature they have read and their experience in their respective fields, this should not be viewed as the definitive opinion on this or any other subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you're in a crisis, please dial 911 or the Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Are you a young person of color, feeling down, stressed out, or overwhelmed? Text Steve, that's S-T-E-V-E, to seven four one seven four one. That's Steve to seven four one seven four one, and a live, trained crisis counselor will respond. You can support your local bookstore without leaving the house by going to www.bookshop.org. That's bookshop.org. By buying online and maybe spending just a Smidgen more on shipping, you will be supporting local bookstores all over the world, and your order will be fulfilled by a local bookstore instead of the Amazon behemoth that exists. If you are a counselor, please join your local counseling association in Arizona. It's the Arizona Counselors Association right now, fighting a ridiculous house bill that would let a lot of people who are not licensed counselors claim to be them which is not great. So check it out at Arizona Counselors Association's webpage. In Michigan, we have the Michigan Mental Health Counselors Association, and they are working to increase the availability of quality mental health services statewide, increasing education, promoting best practices, and working to keep licensed professional counselors and other professionals accessible by the public. Remember, we are in a pandemic, and if you need to see someone online... You just have to make sure they are licensed in your state. At Health for Life Grand Rapids and the Trauma-Informed Counseling Center of Grand Rapids, you can actually see the counselors online if you live in the state of Michigan. Thank you again for listening. This has been Paul Krause with another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast.